Sir Isaac Newton's third law of motion states that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. It's a law that, for the most part, holds true today. But have you ever wondered what it takes to move you? When we allow ourselves to be moved by God, we accept the divine invitation to see lives lived well in Jesus. Today, we'll see one such example. Let me pray. Jesus, as we open your word today, we invite you to open up and, and, and we open up ourselves to you today. We invite you to be at work in us and through us, that you would use this time to speak to us, to encourage us, to challenge us. Lord, we are your church. We are your people. We are your body. And we invite you to be at work today, Holy Spirit. Amen. Earlier in our time, um, as we gathered together today, we chatted about what moves us. For some, it can be a movie. For others, it can be music or injustice. While for some, it can be an opportunity. But the reality is that there are times that we quickly find ourselves stuck. We can find ourselves stuck in a rut that is difficult to get out of. And it can be surprising how quickly we find ourselves stuck in a rut like that. Stuck in habits that we didn't realize were being formed. Consider what habits you've developed over the past 12 months that are new. As Terry said in communion, you know, it's one of those things where you know, we get into different habits because of the circumstances around us. It doesn't take long to gravitate to a new habit, but moving out of them, that can take some work, can't it? I've heard it said that for us to change, there needs to be something that happens. We need to either know enough, want enough, hurt enough, or be helped enough. Know enough. Knowing that there is a better way of doing something can move us to action. Want enough. Wanting something more that we don't have can move us to action. Or wanting something less, like an extra waistline that needs to be reduced. Getting the right assistance. Help enough. Getting the right assistance because we don't know how to do something, so if we can just get the right help, then that will help us to be able to move through and um, move into action. Or hurting enough. Hurting enough can move us to action. Uh, when, we, when we feel pain, when we feel the twinge, when we put our hand on a hot, something hot, we can, that can move us to action. If you have your Bibles with you, then I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 8. Interestingly, despite the followers of Jesus being commissioned by Jesus to go into all the world and to share the good news, enjoying the favour of the people could have led to a compromised call for these first followers of Jesus. And they could have easily become quite comfortable settling in, as it were, like a good lounge chair, settling in to the world 
that was around them. Now, I'm not saying at all that it was easy for the first church. They experienced some significant growth. It was um, suggested that you know that they were getting some pretty serious growing pains that they were dealing with. Acts chapter 6 talks about some of the growing pains and the challenges around running a food program with people arguing that others were getting more than them. If you're not sure what that's like, then come along to a Tuesday or a Wednesday at Northern at about 1.30 when we do our crisis food relief. At last count, since the 28th of May 2020, we have given out 4,239 hampers with 292 households on our books. There was massive growth in the first Christian church. And in the first quarter of Acts, in the, in the book of Acts, we seem to see that everything seems to be fairly uh, Jerusalem-centric. But remember that you don't have to scratch too deep to find simmering resentment and opposition to the Christian church. Stephen, one of Jesus' followers, was arrested on trumped-up charges and he called out the Jewish leaders, the, the leaders of the Jewish religious establishment for their behaviour. And as you can imagine, that just did not go down well. They ended up dragging Stephen out of the city and stoning him with rocks. And we pick up the story there. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened to him intently, um, to Philip, because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, I'm not su suggesting that God caused the persecution of the first Christian church, but what I am suggesting is that the persecution caused a significant shift in focus of these followers of Jesus. While a few stayed, many moved, just as Jesus had hoped that they would, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And while it's easy to focus on the significant numbers of people coming to faith, 3,000 people coming to faith to trust in Jesus, the reality is that every life matters to God. And people join God's family one at a time, as we see in Acts 8.26. Acts 8.26 As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, 
go down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. In verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was like a sheep, uh, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before his shear, the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So the beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water where the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went away, went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north to the town of Azutus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he reached Caesarea. As Philip moves, he is moved by God's heart for others. Obedience is met with amazing opportunities. Now, contrary to what some might suggest, I don't believe the eunuch was travelling travelling back from Jerusalem upset because he was not allowed to worship with the other men. While being a eunuch would have meant that he was not allowed to go into the temple area with the, the court of men um, in Jerusalem, he would have still been able to worship with others in the court of Gentiles with the converts to Jerusalem, uh, to Judaism. And I would suggest that he, he didn't just go there to kind of like pick up a copy of the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that he was reading, and he didn't just go and pick up some tourist map and some duty-free items and maybe a, a Jerusalem snow globe that he could shake on the way. The treasurer of Ethiopia, or in uh, the, the Greek term Ethiopia, was, was more a, a reference to his black skin rather than specifically a region. He travelled from an area around the Sudan-Ethiopian um, geographical location and was most likely already a convert to uh, Judaism. Remember centuries earlier, Solomon and uh, the God he worshipped was held in high regard by the Queen of Sheba. At the, uh, and this was from the, the Queen of Sheba was from the same region of the Horn of Africa where this eunuch was coming from. Because of the day-to-day fares of royal responsibilities, they were beneath the king of Ethiopia. 
Um, it was the king's mother's responsibilities to govern over the kingdom. So all the day-to-day responsibilities were handed to the kendak um, to, to look after and manage the kingdom. So this eunuch, who was the treasurer, was a person of note and had the means to travel by carriage, the Toyota Land Cruiser of the day. And if you've been journeying with us over the last several weeks, you'll note some similar themes in this account of the interaction between um, Philip and the eunuch. Philip was moved by God. Where God was already at work, open and aware to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, Philip moves over to the carriage. Philip listens and then he asks questions. Um, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? He asked it in such a humble term that, that was drawing up an invitation from the man. The eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was more accessible for those who didn't know Hebrew. So if you've ever wondered why there can be a... Um, a oops, sounds like we've got some feedback from someone there. Um, so it's Tracy and Anton. Um, so if you've ever wondered why um, we can sometimes get um, a different translation, so when someone in the New Testament is um, quoting something from the Old Testament and you look at your Old Testament version of that and it just looks a bit different then the reason is that um, the the New Testament writer is quoting from the Septuagint rather than the Hebrew translation of the Bible. Philip starts where the eunuch is at, not where Philip is at. In verses 34 and 35, the eunuch asks Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Undoubtedly, Philip would have um, unpacked the preceding verses in this same passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 4-6 says this, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down, and, his, uh, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have gone part, we have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And then speaking of Jesus' death and resurrection, He would have explored the meaning of Isaiah 53 verses 10 and following. But yet it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper his hands. Philip speaks of his personal relationship with Jesus. Before there was a New Testament, before there was 
two ways to live or alpha or Christianity explained. There were personal realities of a life transformed by Jesus. Philip had a real, a dynamic, a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Philip was open to being um, equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit in his life. I can just imagine Philip talking with the eunuch, pointing out from Isaiah that this was the, pro- this was the person that uh, the prophet was speaking about. He was speaking about Jesus and this is what Jesus has done and his ministry and his death and his resurrection and this is what Jesus means to me and how my life is better because of my decision to follow Jesus. Philip was a follower of Jesus who was moved to action. Moved by the Holy Spirit to where God was at work. Moved to listen first and to ask questions. Moved to start where the other was at and to speak in ways that resonated with the other. Moved to speak about Jesus and what it means to live out life, living life well as a follower of Jesus. So let's circle back to where we started with the question, what moves you? An alarm in the morning? Deadlines? A fitness instructor? Injustice? Love of a particular person? Or the love from a particular person? The love of Jesus? Or being loved by Jesus? According to the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, this eunuch came back to his homeland and as a follower of Jesus, the eunuch was moved to tell others about Jesus. And so began the Ethiopian church history, all because a follower of Jesus was moved to action. Imagine... Imagine what Jesus longs to do in and through you and me when we are so moved. Let me pray. Jesus, we we see your love in action. We see someone that has experienced your love, that has enveloped, wrapped around, soaked, bathed them in the realities of who you are and what you mean to them. Jesus, we see that the life transformation that can take place when one person is moved by you to connect with someone else and share your good news. Lord, would you continue to move in us? Would you, Holy Spirit, continue to move through us, motivate and move us into action to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Amen. So how might we respond today? As we think about this passage and we think about the example of
of Philip and his preparedness to be moved to action? What are you passionate about? When you think about what moves you, what are you passionate about? What moves you to action? What moves you and how might your love for Jesus be shown in this passion that you have? I guess the other question is, often the things that move us can be resisted against by the things that we fear. What fear holds you back from being moved to action? And finally, what step of faith can you take this week as you listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting, as you look to be moved to action? There's going to be some music played, and as the music's played, I invite you to respond to the things that God might be saying to you today. God bless you.